The opinions voiced on this paid program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. International and emerging market investing involves special risks such as currency fluctuation and political instability and may not be suitable for all investors. Precious metal investing involves greater fluctuation and potential for losses. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor before making any financial investments. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. You're listening to the Summit Planning Financial Hour on News Radio 570 WSYR, now on 1069 FM. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Summit Planning Financial Hour. I'm Rick Urchill here, Brian Leonard, your host this morning on this beautiful, beautiful it is. day in Central New York. Yeah, Brian, it's just, we don't get too many of them. And uh, to wake up this morning with the sun and temperature, okay, just absolutely gorgeous. Hope everybody's out there enjoying the days. It's such a uh, event-packed month. June has got so many things going on in Central New York that are fun to do. Anyways, uh, you can join us here live. And any comments, concerns, anything about finances that's on your mind this morning at 315-421-9797. It's 421-9797. Well, the market's had uh, another little bounce this week. Uh, we're approaching the uh, overbought situation in all the indexes pretty much. So uh, they're pretty much in a stall pattern at this point going forward. Uh, with, you know, the possibility of a downward uh, slope because of uh, the overenthusiasm that has encompassed the market for the last couple of weeks. And that was all based on the fact that the Fed is going to cut rates because the economy is snowballing. Uh, and then you throw on the tariffs. And, uh, and uh, so, therefore, the Fed will be cutting rates. I think it's 28% probability in their June meeting, which comes up in a week and a half. Yeah, here. we're a week away on Wednesday. Yeah. So, uh, and then, of course, an 80% chance uh, they're going to cut rates by uh, July, July meeting. And, uh, of course, some good news came out this week in the economy. Uh, we had a bounce in retail sales. Industrial production did better. Uh, a couple other indicators came out more positive than anticipated. And that's put a little, you know, chink in that uh, – Oh, we'll back you up. Don't worry about it. Now, this is stock market talking uh, because uh, the Fed's going to cut rates and, 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 and support stock prices. And, of course, uh, uh, so that sort of created this little stall effect in the market by the end of the week uh, with the good news. So it was uh, bad news was good news. So bad news on the economy, bad news on retail sales, if, if that had happened and it didn't. Uh, would have been good for the market because then they would anticipate that the Fed's got their back and it's going to print a lot more money and that money's going to go into the stock market and up, up, and away we go. Uh, so that's the theory here. And, uh, and, of course, we've got other situations going on. We've got a strong dollar, folks. It's not, uh, you know, enormously strong. It's been stronger in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, it was up 1% this week, and uh, that's what – our president was out and about complaining to the world, uh, saying we've got uh, too strong a dollar because the multinationals, which get about 50% of their profits from overseas, 
the stronger the dollar, the less profitability uh, that they're going to have. And so he wants a weaker dollar. And how do you get a weaker dollar? Well, what you do is you have the Federal Reserve cut interest rates. And uh, so he's gone out there and he has said, uh, he was talking to Joe Kernan of CNBC this week in a telephone interview. And he said, the, the Fed's made a big mistake. They raised rates, interest rates too fast. And of course, that's about as far from the truth as you can get. It took them 10 years, folks, to take interest rates from uh, 0.25% to 2.5%. 10 years. <laughs> so I wouldn't call that too fast, if anything. He just wants the uh, market to be healthy and, and the economy to be healthy so he can get reelected, obviously. I mean, that's what any president would want. Um, but to say that the Fed raised interest rates too fast is crazy. It's just insane. They should have raised them in 2010. Uh, like they uh, alluded to, uh, and we wouldn't be in the situation we are now. But uh, so that's that's the state of the markets right now. They're overbought, anticipating this big rate cut, and uh, the economy, of course, has gotten better. So how can the Fed, you know, cut rates in June and you know in a week and a half uh, with everything getting better? It makes no sense. The stock market's way back up. Um, uh, everything, all the indicators are doing better. We had mortgage purchase applications come out this week, you know, because rates have dropped. Uh, so people went out and started buying houses. Well, last couple, three, four weeks have been down every every week. Uh, this week it went up 10%. So that means 10% increase in people seeking mortgages uh, for home purchases. So there's nothing that would indicate the Fed should be cutting interest rates. So when you look at it in the big picture here, uh, you have to focus in on, well, if the Fed did cut rates, what are interest rates here now? Well, you know, short-term rates are in that 2%, a little over 2% range, and a little bit below 2% as you get out two or three years. But then you go to the 10-year Treasury, that's how we compare our rates to other worldwide rates. We look at our 10-year uh, uh, Treasury bond interest rate, um, and it's 2.08%. Pretty much the same as it was last week. And but just put this in comparison now to the rest of the world. And it's it seems it it should seem to everybody who's listening how off the Richter scale these numbers I'm gonna show or talk to you about are because they've never been like this before in history. Uh, first off, we're at two point oh eight percent. Canada, which is Hugely saturated with debt right now. They've got tremendous problems. They already chased housing in Canada, precipitated by the Chinese, you know, buying the more expensive ones and everybody else being able to, to bid up the lower priced houses as well. So they're saturated in, in mortgage debt right now. I think they have one of the worst uh, debt to income ratios now in the world. Uh, their interest rates on their 10 year treasury is 1.43%. So they're substantially lower than we are, even though they've got a bigger debt issue as far as consumer debt goes. And, of course, you got Germany at minus 0.26%. you got Britain with the Brexit issues and all that stuff, 0.84%. So they're substantially lower than ours, even though the headlines are always talking about how Armageddon's going to come because they're going to leave the European Union quicker than anticipated. France, 
you know, they've got these blue vest demonstrations all the time over there. They got all kinds of issues going on. What's their rate on their 10-year treasury? 0.09%, not even 0.1%. Now let's talk about Spain. Spain's had all kinds of problems. I think the unemployment rate is still 18% in Spain. 0.5% in Spain. And Portugal, its brethren, 0.6%. Now these were countries that were having big financial issues just three, four years ago. And, of course, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Italy and Greece. Italy, constantly talking about leaving the European Union, constantly overspending, constantly promising cutting their budget to meet the goals of the European Union and not doing it. 2.34% for a 10-year treasury. So you can lend your money to Italy for 2.34% a year. Uh, over 10 years, and you get your money back in 10 years. Ours is 2.08, so not that far away. Now, what about Greece? <clears throat> Remember Greece? All kinds of problems in Greece, and there's a lot of them are still there. 2.69% the 10-year treasury in Greece. So when you, you talk about the Fed cutting rates here, and if the Fed cuts rates, that means you get less return here than you would, generally speaking, overseas in their bonds. And that would make the dollar go down in value. But you're starting already with very, very, very low rates everywhere in the world. So how can the dollar go down? And if the Fed cuts rates, my guess is these other rates are going to go lower still because the Fed's not going to cut rates unless things are slow. And they're not slow right now. They were slow. They're starting to get a little, you know, they're not on fire by any stretch of the imagination. Autos are still down. But they're <clears throat> getting better. And Switzerland's minus 0.5%. Australia is 1.37%. And they've got a big housing uh, problem on their hands right now as well. And, of course, Japan is minus 0.14. I could go on and on and on. The only countries that are yielding more than the U.S., and it's probably more than this, but it's Brazil at 7.9, Mexico at 7.6, and India at 6.9. Now, they all suffer from higher inflation rates, and that's why uh, their rates are higher than ours, significantly higher. And, of course, Turkey is way up there, like 20% or something. So it's, it's, it's such a weird world we live in where we're talking about, oh, we have to stimulate our economy, we have to stimulate the world economy if we could just cut interest rates, when interest rates are so close to zero in so many countries and negative as well. You know, and so many times we've said it that, you know, you have to factor in sort of what you can't see because you, people get very excited about the stock market and story stocks and all these kind of things. But you always have to factor in the debt because really that is what powers the stock market. And right now, really, in order to keep the stock market uh, – going uh, higher and higher and, and valuations go higher and higher and prices go higher and higher, you're going to need a, a continual <clears throat> bull market in, in debt. debt. As a matter of fact, Brian, and since you brought up such a great point, total debt, total debt, total debt, total debt uh, uh, during this quarter here uh, where the markets come roaring back uh, grew at 5.6%. 
And that's up from 2.7%. This is the first quarter. Up from 2.7% in the fourth quarter of 2018. And then it says here, and that was the strongest pace since 6.5% increase in debt in the first quarter of 2018. Federal government borrowing jumped 8.57%, up from fourth quarter's 2.5%. Corporate borrowing accelerated 6.6%, up from 3.8% in the fourth quarter. The strongest since 2017. Non-financial corporate borrowing jumped 7.6% from the fourth quarter's 3.35. Total household borrowing slowed a tad to 2.3% from the fourth quarter's 2.8. But if you if you look at consumer credit, it expanded at 4.3%. And uh, so what does that mean? That means what we've been saying for almost a decade now that our whole system is based on credit growth. Wages can be zero, which generally, historically, would mean, as far as not wages, but wage growth being at zero, which would mean horrible situation for the economy. Hmm. But now it doesn't make any difference. As long as debt goes, and, and you can tell by the numbers, because when debt was only growing at 2.7% for a lot of these areas, in the fourth quarter of 2018, you see what happened to the stock market. It literally crashed. And uh, junk bonds and all these uh, shadow banking institutions and, of course, floating rate funds, uh, all these things, collateralized debt obligations, uh, became totally illiquid in December of 2018. And that's why the Fed did a roundabout face about raising rates. Because... That was only growing, it was growing at sub 3%. So what we've been saying all along is that has to keep growing at least 3%, but between 3 and 7% a year with an average of right around 5%, or it's a whole system. This Ponzi scheme of basing an entire world's economy on ever-increasing debt levels comes crashing down. Remember, it came almost crashing down. The whole system, the whole world, you don't realize how close it came on Christmas Eve of last year with debt still growing at 2.7%. So it needs ever more debt. And the Fed, think about Jerome Powell, head of the Federal Reserve right now. What's he thinking? He's sitting on his couch, relaxing, having a cup of coffee. He's thinking, well, if I cut rates now, that means credit growth is going to grow 7 or 8%. This bubble is going to get so big that I'll never, ever be able to control it. And uh, it's a scary thought. And that's why things have gotten better, not because the economy came roaring back, because it didn't. It's gotten slightly better in the last month. But it didn't come roaring back. But what came roaring back was risk on trade, meaning I'll buy any debt, because I don't want to get a low interest rate. I'll buy any stock because I don't want to be left out. And that's what's propelled the market higher, not super good economic news. Got to take a quick break. Be right back. Okay, folks, welcome back. And uh, 
you're talking about the need to have uh, worldwide debt grow, uh, you know, at least 5% overall here to keep the uh, ship a straight, which is, a, you know, not a good position to be in when you're at record high debt <clears throat> levels, you know. And uh, not to be outdone, we had the uh, budget numbers come in for May. And uh, boy, oh boy, was it a monster. It says the U.S. budget deficit widened to $738 billion in the first eight months of the fiscal year. The fiscal year ends September 30th. Now, last year, we were $206 billion less at this point in time. And, of course, revenues have increased. I don't know if you know it or not, but tax receipts, uh, as well as tariffs, uh, have increased the revenue side. But that's not the problem. The problem is we're spending 9.3% more than we spent last year. <laughs> that's the problem. Revenue is up 2.3%. So, uh, you know, we have posted the biggest uh, deficit in May, and uh, I think the only other time, it might have been one time in 2009, uh, it says the deficit was the highest ever. Sorry, take that back. The deficit was the highest ever for the month of May and wider than the average forecast. They had forecast $185 billion. Government spending rose $440 billion, up 21% from May of 2018. <clears throat> and uh, even though receipts went up, uh, government spending went through the rough right now. So, so really, we debt is the new national treasure. <laughs> Absolutely true, Brian. And, uh, you know, we've seen this. Uh, in, in this in this case, we probably really haven't seen this. This is a record, you know, month. Yep. And if you look at uh, on the consumer side, and you know, I think everyone has to factor in, well, where will the new debt come from? Is it going to come from corporations that are already saturated, governments that are already saturated? Probably. Uh, both. Probably. But also there's something out there called the consumer. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, at this point, uh, and it almost acts itself out like on a, a stage because back in 2006 and 2007, you had Capital One come out. I remember this, Rick, uh, almost the day it happened, and, and they said we're, we have a new scheme. They didn't call it a scheme, but it was a new way to make money and, and offer credit to people that didn't have bank accounts and the people that had poor credit scores. And uh, so that's what they did. They created a credit card for that. Well, just like clockwork, we had Amazon come out with a, another bank called Synchrony Financial, and the headline was, we have a new credit card for, again, the underbanked and those with low credit scores. So oftentimes you can get a little kick out of that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously this is all called the shadow banking system because the banks had such a bad experience lending to people uh, with low credit scores back in 2003 through 2007. So uh, the shadow banks uh, are now pretty much in control of everything. Uh, right now they've got uh, $15 trillion in assets. Uh, it's an asset if you lend the money. Mm -hmm. uh, it says the shadow banking sector in the United States is roughly the same size, the shadow banking system now, same size as the entire banking system of Great Britain and the world's, the world's fifth largest economy. In certain areas, including mortgages, auto lending, and some business loans, shadow banks have eclipsed traditional banks, which have spent much of the last decade pulling back on lending in the face of stricter regulatory uh, standards. <clears throat> and, of course, uh, they're probably not regulating them anywhere near. Correct. So 
everybody says, well, this isn't like 2008. We can't have another 2008, you know, because the banks have all these reserves now and there's stricter regulations and more, uh, uh, you know, observations of what they're doing to keep them solvent. That's all true. But there's not much supervision going on in the shadow banking side, which has taken over and probably exceeded a lot of what happened in 2003 through 2007 with a lot of loans. You know, and I, I sort of liken that to China a little bit, but even if you just take it here, the government sort of, <clears throat> they're willing to turn a blind eye towards the shadow banks for a while because it, 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 like, helps, man, it, it helps the economy. Great for economies and growth. And then once you start to get a few failures here and there, then they try to rein it in. But then all they do is they try to move the banking, the all the loans back to the big banks. Or, or what they do too, Brian is they'll lower the standards uh, for Your mortgage reserves. qualification uh, yes. to through Fannie and Freddie through an Correct. FHA mortgage, and uh, now you can get a you know three and a half percent down FHA mortgage. You know it wasn't too long ago you you needed ten uh, because of all the problems we had, and they lowered it to five, and then they lowered it to three and a half uh, to make sure they keep the debt ball rolling. And that's coming. And you, you look at Britain; they've got lifetime mortgages now. Uh, you know, that's the future. Yeah. I think in Belgium, <clears throat> I think a fellow, it was an article written, uh, that the bank was going to pay him to take a mortgage <laughs> out because interest rates are in the negative in Belgium. And I can see that happening yeah, here too. Correct. Where the bank would actually, because they'll make a service fee, right? Right. They'll make a service fee so they don't have to make the spread on the interest rate. So they'll say, hey, yeah, do a mortgage with us and, you know, we'll give you, you know, one percent of the mortgage or whatever. Correct. We'll bake that fee in for the yeah, rest we'll, of your we'll, life. We'll give you the money. Uh, so, anyways, everything's sort of coming <clears throat> to a head as far as decision making for the Federal Reserve, because I know they don't want to expand this bubble anymore. At least I know Jerome Powell doesn't. I'm sure Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen wouldn't have had a problem with it, uh, but he he does. And uh, so, and then you throw on, you know, the the tariffs and all the other stuff. And, of course, when we come back, we're going to talk about stuff that you really should be paying attention to right after a quick break. Okay, folks, welcome back to Summit Planning Financial. Rick Urchioli here with Brian Leonard, your host. Uh, and I don't blame you for not calling us because you're probably out there doing some <laughs> gardening, weeding, or whatever, or, or going to some festival. Anybody listen to us. But anyways, uh, you can join us here at uh, 315-421-9797. Well, <clears throat> this came out two uh, it says, uh, now, so much of what's going on in corporate America is being blamed on the trade war. Remember, it's been pretty much rhetoric. Uh, uh, you know, we've had these tariffs on uh, some Chinese goods for over a year, but uh, it hasn't impacted anything, uh, to be honest about it, other than giving us more uh, money from uh, tariffs into the, the, the pool of money we're spending that we don't have. Uh, but it says the trade war and global slowdown are combining to trigger a sharp drawdown in profits for U.S. multinationals. And uh, it's all because of the dollar. 
Uh, companies that derive more than half their sales outside the U.S. are expected to see a 9.3% slump in second quarter earnings as the reporting season looms about a month away, according to fact set estimates that the S&P uh, is now reporting a broad decline of 2.3% in earnings for the uh, quarter coming up. Uh, that means big companies like Apple and Boeing that have far-flung operations and count on business and lower costs from the countries is a big ingredient in the recipe for success. Of the S&P's 11 sectors, information technologies expect to see the biggest drop-off in earnings at 11.8%. And, of course, a big part of that is uh, the chips sector. Semiconductors, not potatoes, semiconductors. And... Uh, Says global semiconductor sales plunged 24% from peak, uh, deepest plunge since the financial crisis. You know, why is that? Uh, well, they go on to say it's just, uh, just a broad, worldwide, less demand for chips and all kinds of devices. Correct. You think of cell phones, right? So mm-hmm. is cell phones a, a trade issue? At this point, not really. There's just less cell phones, less computers being sold. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the worst was here in this country. It was down 30%. Europe was down 8 Japan was down 10 China was down 11 Asia Pacific, other, like Korea and all that stuff, is down about 11% as well. And that's been going on in Korea. We've been seeing chip sales uh, exports in Korea being down, exports all across the board in Korea, down for quite a long time. Now, they keep blaming, and this is why it's such, you know, the way the world's structured today uh, if you got a big issue uh, that is confusing and nebulous and ch- ever-changing, like tariffs with China, you can blame everything on it. And, of course, that's uh, not true. A lot of the slowdown that's happened is just because it got pretty frothy, and, of course, things slow down. They don't keep going up, up, up every sector. Other than debt, debt keeps going higher and higher and higher. So now, you know, we're worried about uh, what China and the United States, you know, the, the fellow from UPS, the uh, CEO, he was on Bloomberg Radio, I was listening to, and they asked him, you know, he said, well, to manage our company today, we have to manage it with constant change in mind. And that's true, right? With all the new technology, all the robotics, all the stuff. I mean, if you're not on top of it, your, your cost can eat you alive. Uh, but then they said, what about... You know, if there's a resolution to the trade talks, he goes, well, the longer they keep going on, the fear of extended trade uh, problems and a trade war have made many companies already uh, go a different route with their supply chain. And so instead of saying we're going to open a plant in, you know, in Shanghai or whatever in China, uh, we're not going to do that now because it could be more expensive for us, so we're going to go to another country. And once they start that planning and process, even though you get a resolution to the tariff uh, uh, war, uh, then they're not going to change that plan. They're gonna, Correct. Because the plan made sense anyways. So they're just going to say, well, we're going to go to Vietnam, we're going to go to Pakistan, we're going to go to Burma, wherever they can get you know cheaper uh, cost. So uh, it's not going to be a you know, uh, flip a switch and now everything's hunky-dory and the trade stuff. But keep in mind, don't confuse the economy having slowed down uh, in many uh, sectors. 
even though we've had this little bump up here in growth in the last month or two, uh, with all tariffs. It's nothing nothing to do. I'd say 90% of nothing to do. Now, if it keeps going on and on and on, it can be become a bigger issue. But so far, it's just rhetoric. And, of course, uh, we've got this other thing going on uh, called March to War. I don't know if you've been tuned in or not. Uh, the media doesn't seem to like pay a lot of attention to it. They'll throw one little story up at you. Well, I'm talking about the United States uh, going to war with Iran. Of course, uh, Iran, according to this one agency, the U.N. Atomic Watchdog, uh, says it's followed through on a threat to accelerate its production of enriched uranium, which they had ceased and stopped with the Iranian deal with the Obama administration. And then our president reneged on that and stopped it. So therefore, there's no reason why they can't enrich their uranium again because that's how they agreed that they wouldn't do that you know, as long as we took sanctions off of them. Well, we put sanctions back on them, and now we're constantly, constantly trying to start a war with Iran. And, uh, of course, this week it was so crazy, right, Brian? Let's talk about it a little bit. We had a Japanese tanker, oil tanker, and uh, moving along, and uh, it got hit by some type of object initially. First reports where they were torpedoes from an Iranian source. Well, a, a water landmine was the big one. I saw torpedoes. Now, it, it, it progressed. came out to Yeah, it changed. It progressed. It, then it became there were objects that came out of the air. Exactly. Uh, possible yeah. UFOs. And, of course, the uh, president of Japan has happened to be sitting down with a meeting with the head of Iran at this time. This is a Japanese tanker. So what would be the motivation for the Iranians to blow up a Japanese tanker while uh, Prime Minister Abe is sitting down talking to the head of Iran? Uh, not too big. It doesn't make any sense that they would do that. But we are trying desperately to go to war with Iran. Now, what are the powers to be? Well, it's obviously our... Uh, Foreign policy objective run by, you know, two whack jobs, Michael Bolton, not Michael Bolton, what's his name? John Bolton, who's wanted to go to war with Iran for the last 20 years. Uh, it is Mike Pompeo, who's on board 100%. It's Israel, who's always said they're our ultimate enemy. Of course, they said that about Iraq, and then, of course, we did Iraq, and then they said it about Libya, so we did Libya, and they said it about Syria, and we helped them with that, but that didn't work out. And now, of course, it's Iran. Is the big and of course Saudi Arabia? That's their arch enemy as well because a different tribe, you know, Shia versus Sunni, and uh, so so you got Saudi Arabia, you got Israel, and you got the United States all trying to start a war, and of course the media is not paying any attention to it. Now, when that happened, oil prices spiked up. Remember they've they been did. they've been going down and down and down and down, and of course uh, they still went down two point nine percent for the week because oil inventories reflecting a slower demand worldwide for oil, have been building up off the Richter scale. but And it did shoot up about 4% or 5%, I think, in one Correct. day. Correct. By the end of the day, it was only up 2%. So we closed at 52.51 a barrel of oil from $54 last week. So the, the fundamentals came back at the end of the day. There's just too much oil out there. But, uh, you know, this is the third attempt, the third attempt to do a false flag 
incident like we did in the war in Vietnam or the Gulf of Tonkin uh, and other times, many other times, to start a war again. And people don't realize, you know, this isn't going to be, we're just not going to go in there and blow up the nuclear facilities of Iran and walk away and say, job well done. Uh, they're not going to tolerate that sitting down. So uh, this is a bigger thing than you might think it is, and it's going to play out here. If they can fool the American public, which is pretty easy to fool. You know why? Not because we're that stupid, but because they have the entire media controlled by all the operatives, the CIA putting out news briefs all the time that are lies, the Defense Department putting out you know unnamed sources, uh, which are lies, the military-industrial complex forcing all this to come forward because they need constant growth. And, uh, and of course, that's a sad reason to go kill people. But, unfortunately, uh, you need some motivator here uh, to control the media, and those forces control the U.S. media on every level. Uh, it doesn't make any difference if it's CNN or Fox News. Uh, you know, there's always a drumbeat to war. You know, Congress is uh, so divided, but they always come together when we want to kill people. You know, <laughs> they always come together. Uh, the Iraq War you know, uh, was one of the few times we've had unanimous, uh, you know, go to war, kill people uh, agreement. And I'm sure uh, because of our love for some of the people who want to attack Iran so badly, uh, I'm sure they'll all come to an agreement quickly uh, about going over there and doing something bad. Anyways, take a break, but keep that on your radar screen, folks. It will affect your investments. Uh, be right back. The best things in life are free. Okay, folks. Home stretches. I'm at Planning Financial. We just had an interesting call. She hung up before we could get to her. Too bad. I'm sure she's listening. Funny how people listen to stuff that they, they hate and they complain. It's all they do is not listen. And she said, "Is this a political show or a financial show?" That we're. I was talking about Iran, and uh, and it's 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 crazy that you can in your mind even think for one second that going to war wouldn't affect. Uh, many things. It would obviously affect the price of oil. It would affect the level of interest in defense stocks. Uh, it would affect uh, confidence here in this country. It would affect spending habits. It would affect the stock market. It would affect a lot of things. And to ever say, or even think in your mind, that politics isn't totally interwoven with finance. I don't know what rock you've been living under, whatever this lady's rock she, she lives under is located. Because when you think about it, the president is constantly trying to force the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates. Now, that's political, isn't it? Yes. He wants the market to go up so he can get reelected. It's about as political as you can get. And, of course, all the other aspects. You got the Republicans and the Democrats right now. Yes, they don't get along, but guess what? They both love to spend money right now. And that political dynamic is putting us deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And it's where it's its source. Its source is politics. It's politics. So to even think for one second that going to war wouldn't affect your investment decisions is ludicrous. It's crazy. And I don't know where anybody could think that politics and money aren't interrelated. 
Absolutely. And, and it's, uh, you just can't ignore it. You know, speaking of other things, uh, uh, you know, we did have a few economic reports that came out this week uh, of interest. Uh, one was retail sales and a uh, pretty strong report uh, across the board. And again, you have to bake it into how is this going to affect your investment decisions? Because the market did not quite know how to react to a report that was a little bit stronger in places than expected because it meant the Fed, Federal Reserve, would be, you know, either enter or stay in the sidelines. Exactly, which we, we talked about in the beginning of the show. Correct. And, uh, and of course, inflation came out, and it was, uh, as expected, a little bit lower again. So, uh, obviously, that would feed into the story. We've got year-over-year change <clears throat> and uh, CPI now at 1.8%. Uh, so that's what's going to feed into your Social Security check if it stays about that level uh, come uh, the end of September, whatever the number is finally then, uh, gives you your COLA increase into uh, Social Security. But right now it's running 1.8% year over year. For the month it was only up 0.1%. Now these are all government-fabricated numbers, we know cost of living is much higher than the government tells that's, us. That's correct. And even within the report, Rick, it mentioned that food, the things that went up in prices were food, medical care, and housing. You know, <laughs> just, so you don't just, need, you know, who needs We that? don't need those. You know, there's no reason to count that. Anyways, and PPI, which is wholesale inflation, uh, it came in at 0.1% as well, year over year, 1.8. Uh, now, there was a little bit of an increase uh, when you took out uh, – Food and energy, it was up uh, 2.3%. And it was running, they expected to be, uh, well, expect to be 22 to 2.3. So, you know, about, about the same and, and low. So uh, this gives the Fed, you know, a little bit of concern that maybe deflation's kicking in here. And, of course, a big part of inflation is oil prices, and they've been going down. So it uh, gives the market, you know, a little bit more, uh, confidence that the Fed will be cutting rates, but uh, they'd be crazy to cut rates at this point in time uh, because things are starting to pick up a little bit. And they don't want to, you know, put kerosene on a debt fire that's out of control at this point in time. So coming up this week, what we got? We got Empire State Manufacturing, uh, housing starts, building permits, of course. <clears throat> and then uh, we got some uh, leading indicators at the end of the week. Uh, and then on Friday, as well, we have existing home sales. So if these numbers are somewhat positive with a combination of the fact that the market is overbought at this point in time, a little too enthusiastic at this point, uh, so the good news in any of these things will bleed into a lower market because that means the Fed won't be raising interest rates uh, in July, at least 80% chance that it'll drop down to 50% or whatever. And that's why the markets bounce back so much. So got to play that game back and forth. Folks, thanks for listening. Take care. Have a great day.
voiced on this paid program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. International and emerging market investing involves special risks such as currency fluctuation and political instability and may not be suitable for all investors. Precious metal investing involves greater fluctuation and potential for losses. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor before making any financial investments. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC.